BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Five months have passed since Hamas brutally attacked Israel, launching a vicious war for Israel's very survival. As Israel fights for her existence, so many people around the world, even in America, Israel's greatest ally, have turned their backs on the Israeli people right when they need friends the most. Friends like us. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is on the ground in Israel, delivering critically needed emergency supplies to those suffering right now. There is an immediate need for essentials like food, medicine, and emergency supplies for hundreds of thousands of suffering Jews. Many cannot return to their homes because of rocket fire in the north from Hezbollah. Israel is in desperate need, and that's why I'm partnering with the fellowship today. Every donation is urgently needed. To give to IFCJ, visit supportifcj.org. That's one word supportifcj.org your gift will be matched to double in impact and help provide twice the support supportifcj.org god bless and thank you you know your house smells don't get mad don't get mad my house smells too i'm not i'm not indicting you i'm sure you keep a clean home but just time means you're going to acquire smells whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint your carpet Maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. 
Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com, promo code JESSE. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Lucius Cornelius Sala. Maybe not a name you're familiar with. Probably not a name you're familiar with. And he's one of those characters, there are so many of them throughout history that just don't, it doesn't rise to the top when you think about a nation, when you think about an empire, when you think about what this guy did or that guy did. But Lucius Cornelius Sala, if you know anything about ancient Rome, he's somebody you really need to find out about. Here's the deal. We're talking about 100 BC. Now that's just about the center of the span of his life, but I don't like to bore everybody with details, so I'm not going to bore you with details. About 100 B.C., we have this guy, Lucius Cornelius Sulla. And Rome at this point is extremely, and I mean extremely, divided. Two sides. Does that sound familiar? On one side, you had guys like Sulla, who firmly believed the Senate, the Roman Senate, should be calling the shots. He did not believe the plebs. You know, the people, the normal people, should have really any kind of a voice at all. He thought they should shut up, do what they're told, go on about their day. But this was a time of massive anger in Roman society because all those senators and all their rich friends, well, they love cheap labor. That sound familiar? Cheap labor in the form of slaves. Slaves were big, big, big money in most of history. We like to think of slavery, and it is pretty much the most detestable thing in the world. We like to think of it as some kind of an American thing that uh, we struggled with it here, and um, it's a shameful thing. Well, yes, we did struggle with it, and yes, it is shameful. There's no question about that, but it is a history of the world thing. Slavery is just something that's always been there. And the Romans figured out, well, why would we pay this middle class guy 50 bucks to do this when we can just go to war and kill all these barbarians and take them back here and then we don't have to pay anything? And there was so much of that that poverty in Rome was flying, flying up. And so there rose this movement called the Populare Movement. You know, populist, but they called it Populare. And this movement, it basically said, uh, we the people need some representation here. And there need to be some limits on how many slaves you can have on your gigantic farm. Because people need jobs. And I'm not going to go into all the details because I don't have time to go into all the details, and I will as we travel this journey together through the show on another day. Just know that 
it was a big deal. The populares would rise. They would find a leader. Inevitably, that leader would get killed. And then another one would rise because the issue doesn't just go away. One of the ultimate populare people, his name was Gaius Marius, and Lucius Cornelius Sulla hated his freaking guts. Gaius Marius was a consul of Rome seven times, this amazing general, went down and fought a war in Numidia with Sulla underneath his command. Sulla pulls off some genius daring move that wins the war. Gaius Marius takes credit for all of it. Then the Kimbri and the Teutons. I don't expect you to know who that is. Germans. German tribes, German barbarians. Uh, They started encroaching on Roman territory. And Romans, because they're Romans, figured, well, we'll just send an army up there and slap these barbarians around. And they all got destroyed. And then they sent another army up there to fight them, and they all got destroyed. And then they sent another army, and they all got destroyed. And they did this five times. Five times they sent armies to fight these, you know, these backwater Germans. And the Germans kept winning. And there were a lot of them. And all of a sudden, Rome is in a panic. And they don't know what to do. And they look to their great general, Gaius Marius, and they say, save us. And he does. With the help of Sulla. Now... Long story short, Sulla eventually becomes the big cheese, the man in charge. He decides to start doing these things called proscriptions. No, not doctor prescriptions, but proscriptions. And proscriptions were eh, a lot of murder. You see, once Sulla got in charge, he decided he was going to take care of this populare problem for good. So he started handing out lists to the Roman citizens of people who need to be killed. Anyone could do it. All you had to do was bring back their head and you would get payment. There's a famous story. I actually heard this on a hardcore history podcast. There's a famous story about one guy. He went down to the town square to read who else was on the list and saw his own name on the list and got killed. And Sala started slaughtering people. Slaughtering Romans like you can't believe. Because he wanted a massive setback to the way things used to be. He wanted the plebs to shut up. He wanted the Senate to call the shots. And let's be honest, as much of a murderous tyrant as Sulla was, he was really effective. And aren't those the people you have to worry about the most? If somebody wants to do me harm, I worry a lot less if the guy's an idiot than I do if the guy's a genius. And Sulla was a genius, militarily and otherwise. And a vicious, vicious human being. And he did, for a long time, set things right. Took a few years, appointed himself dictator, and just started killing everybody. Now, eventually, Sulla 
has society exactly the way he wants it. Should be noted, quick side note here, Julius Caesar was alive at this time. He was a young man, I think 18, 19 years old, roughly that. And while Sulla was killing everybody, he told a young Julius Caesar, now Caesar is one of the most fascinating people in history, if not the most fascinating, told a young Julius Caesar that Caesar had to divorce his wife for political reasons that I won't go into. And during a time where every Roman was scared to death to have Sulla even say his name, Julius Caesar looks right at him and says, no, I don't think I will. (laughs) That's just the type of person Caesar was. Sulla, of course, wanted to kill Caesar because he knew that Caesar was just like Gaius Marius. He was just like one of those other popularities. In fact, he's famous for saying There are a thousand Mariuses in that young man. He wanted him gone. Eventually, Sulla retires after he's done being a dictator, dies just a short time later. On his deathbed, he has one of my favorite quotes of all time, although it's a little dark and probably not necessarily the way you want to live your life. His quote was simply this. No friend ever served me, and no enemy ever wronged me, who I have not repaid in full. But none of that is the reason I wanted to bring up Lucius Cornelius Sulla today. There is one thing that happened in his life that changed history. Everything, like you know. I'll tell you in a second. The most amazing thing about Lucius Cornelius Sulla, or I should say the most consequential thing, was not the prescriptions, it wasn't the wars, wasn't his amazing quote on death. The most amazing thing was this. You see, at one point in time when he was still in a heated political squabble with Gaius Marius, well... Rome decided they wanted to go to war with Mithridates. He was a king. It doesn't matter. You don't need to know his name for now. But this war was going to be a profitable one, as most Roman wars were. Understand that generals who took armies in Roman times and went off to war, they came back wealthy, wealthy men. And this was going to be one of those times. And Rome looks at Sulla and they say, Sulla, go ahead, raise an army. Go fight Mithridates. And Sulla says, all right, let's rock and roll. Sulla leaves Rome, goes out, raises an army. Gaius Marius stays behind in Rome and convinces the Senate to yank Sulla's command and give it to him instead. So the Romans send send envoys over to Sulla and say, hey, man, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to go with Marius. Marius's men promptly stone the envoys and then or Sulla's men promptly stone the envoys and then Sulla looks around to himself and says, "Wait a minute. I have an army. I'm sitting here with an army. And Rome just decided that I can't do this. I'm going to Rome." 
with my army. And just so you understand, we're talking about hundreds of years so far of Roman existence up to this point, and nobody, nobody had ever brought his own Roman army within the limits of Rome because it was extremely illegal, considered the worst thing you could ever do, the highest form of treason. And Saul looks around and says to himself, Well, why not? Who's going to tell me otherwise? And Sulla takes his army, marches back into Rome, and takes power. And you know, one of the reasons that's so underrated what happened there was because everything you see, all the Roman history you know, Julius Caesar marching his army down to Rome, all the other guys who did it, the Praetorian Guard coming under these emperors and things like that. All of that, all of that came because Lucius Cornelius Sala opened up Pandora's box and decided, well, yeah, the law says I can't do this, but what's going to stop me? We are in the middle of a pandemic. No question about it, people are dying. They're giving out these dire predictions about what's going to happen this week. I mean, I hope that doesn't come true. They seem to be really emphatic about it, though, so let's stay on our knees in prayer about all that. We are in the middle of an economic destruction like I've never seen before. You know I've been ranting about this endlessly, that I think it's the dumbest, most destructive thing I've ever seen in my life, our response to this. But more more than any of that, more than our current situation, here's what, here's what worries me, and it's been on my mind. Consider what we're seeing right now in the United States of America. I want you to just take a step back and consider what we're seeing. I'm not saying it's not justified, although I, I, that is what I'm saying, but I'm saying even if you think it's justified, I want you to consider what we're seeing. What do we have right now? We have citizens informing on other citizens and telling other people to do the same. We have mayors telling their citizens to inform on others, shutting off water and power to businesses who dare to open. We have drones, we'll get to this a little later, flying around New York City, issuing commands to people to social distance. We have a lady who wasn't social distancing enough The cops locked her up and threw her in a jail cell with other people for 36 hours. We have fathers who can't go in and be with their wives for the birth of their children. We have cops breaking up a car parade where they were celebrating something with one person in each car because they were, quote, not allowed out. We have decided as a nation, federal, state, and local, that the response to a pandemic, that the appropriate response to a pandemic is to order people into their homes. 
is to point our fingers at a business and say, you have to close, and you have to close, and you're not essential. We have some places that are allowing, quote-unquote, businesses to open, but making sure they're only allowed to sell certain things. I can show you a picture I just saw. I I forget what the city was of caution tape over Legos. Of caution tape over mosquito repellent. You know, like the number one disease carrier ever. You're not allowed to buy that because the government is deemed non-essential. And where I'm going with all this is it's not only what's happening now. As you'll see, I look at everything through the lens of history. I try to take a step back on everything. My concern is that just like Sulla looking around at his army and deciding, well, why can't I go to Rome? And then every tyrant after him throughout the rest of the empire made the same decision because, well, I mean, Sulla showed you can do it. I'm I'm Julius Caesar. I have an army. Who says I can't come back to Rome? Who's going to stop me? My concern is from now until the day they close the doors on the United States of America, which Lord willing is a thousand years from now, that the results, our response to a pandemic will be tyranny. That our response to a pandemic will be to tell every single human being that in the name of flattening the curve, you must give up every single right that makes you an American. You must give up every single thing that makes America unique. Well, yes, it's the land of the free and home of the brave, but only unless we get sick. Well, obviously, this is a country of limited government. You have rights. Those rights come from God. Unless there's a virus. Then God has to sit this one out, I guess. My concern is not only what we're seeing now, although I'm very concerned about that, obviously, because it's my family and yours. My concern is we have opened up our own Pandora's box here. And that from now until the end of time, because precedent is such a strong thing and people love to just say, well, that's what we did before. The next time we get a pandemic, and we will, there's always another one. History proves it so. The next time we get a pandemic, it'll be even easier. It'll be like just reaching over and flipping off a light switch. Hey, guess what? Rights are suspended again. We've got another pandemic. Hunker down. We're tracking the individual phones that pe- of people who went on spring break. We're attaching ankle monitors to people with coronavirus. That's happening in Kentucky. This toothpaste ain't going back in the tube. Jesse Kelly.
Jesse Kelly. One thing that has frustrated me, and this is before I get to a major, major food gripe I have. I have a new one, Chris. I have a new food gripe. We're going to get to it in a second, but people have screwed something up terribly when it comes to food, and they have this bad mentality, and I'm going to, you know what, don't get me distracted. I'm going to, I'm staying focused right now. Hold on a second. I understand that there aren't easy, great answers right now. I'm not pretending to have all of them. For the first time in history, I'm not acting like I know everything. It is a pandemic. People are dying. It is serious. Deadly serious. But one thing I do know for sure, we are crushing the economy. Uh, that's not a model. That's not a, well, you don't understand. I got my MDA and P- PhD from Harvard and Yale, and I put all this stuff in a commuter, computer model from Microsoft, and it said that we are, no, it's not models. I'm, I'm telling you right now. It's way beyond the unemployment numbers. I talk to business people all day long. I don't live, work, and worship in Washington, D.C. or New York. I talk to r- normal, regular people all day. People who just work for a living, business owners, all this stuff. And I'm telling you, we're destroying the economy. We are. Destroying it. And just to be clear about something, because I hear this all the time, so allow us to have just a little mini business lesson. You don't pause an economy. An economy is not a light switch. It's not your breaker box when the wife fries it again with their hairdryer. You don't just, let's just pause it. Like Netflix. And maybe we'll rewind a little bit. And then when we start again, we'll just fast forward. We'll just press play. That's that's not how it works. Because not everything stops. There is a cost to operating a business. I'm looking at this headline right here. This is a great example. And actually, maybe it's not a great example because very few people are going to feel sympathy for this guy. But <laughs> Staten Island car dealer has to pay 500000 in interest while the lot is closed. His name is Marcello Schiarino. I don't know. I'm not an Italian. And he owns some auto group in Staten Island. On March 16th, I locked our dealership's doors and knew they wouldn't open again for a week or a month or three months, which is a lifetime for us. It broke my heart to realize that 400 employees, many of whom are like family, will be laid off. Even before that, with people afraid to go out, the showrooms were ghost town. We were selling 35 cars per day, and all of a sudden we dropped to just barely a couple. Then he goes on, skips a couple things. As for our survival, we can trim expenses, but some costs just don't stop. We have over 4,000 cars in stock and pay around $500,000 per month in interest on them. Right now, no help is coming from the manufacturers. We have no revenue coming in and can't survive for months like this. I just got a... Message from a buddy of mine yesterday. Works at some big fancy law firm in D.C. 
They're laying off 25% of their lawyers today. Hospitals are laying off nurses across the country. When you have a business, your business has costs that don't stop. In case you're wondering what the interest is on that, it's called floor planning. Like, let's say you run an RV lot or a car lot in this case. And you have, we're going to make everything easy. You have 50 cars on your lot. Obviously, they have a lot more. You have 50 cars on your lot. You don't pay for all those. Not right off the bat. You get a loan for those from most of the time it's a major bank, but you can do smaller banks. I used to sell RVs. I know how this works. You get a loan for those for let's call it, let's call it Bank of America. And they stroke the check for you. Okay, well, here's the check for your 50 cars. And Bank of America will then charge you. And this is not an evil bank thing. How do you think banks stay open? They charge you interest on the money they loan you. They don't loan you just for funsies. They charge you interest for that. So they gave you, they stroke the check for you for your 50 cars. And then every month you will pay them the interest on that debt. So now you have a man here paying $500,000 in interest on debt. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, why can't Bank of America? And I don't know that that's his bank. And even if it was, I wouldn't call him out. I'm not trashing Bank of America. Why can't they just say his interest is suspended for a month? People, banks are businesses too. Banks are not charities. And believe me when I tell you, all this talk that we get sucked into, why can't they should just, the banks should just forgive that. The banks should just not. Well, we should, the banks can't charge interest. They should hold. People, you think it's bad with hospitals closing, and it is? You think it's bad with restaurants closing, and it is? Do you have any idea what happens if banks start closing? Have you thought about that? Be very, very careful with what sounds like the simple solution. Well, let's just not pay anything back. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're able to right now, to pay things back. You do not, I say again, you do not want the national motto to be, I'm not paying for anything. It's going to create a whole new host of problems. So back to what I was saying in the beginning. I got distracted. That happens. Businesses keep getting costs piling up, just like this Staten Island car dealer, even if you close the doors. When you, quote, pause an economy like we have done, you slam it into a wall. You didn't pick up your little remote control and hit the pause button. You slammed it into a wall. How hard you slam it into the wall is going to determine is going to be determined by how long you have it shut down. If you pause a major Staten Island car dealer's parking lot for a week or two, he can probably be fine. Maybe a month. How long do you think he survives with $500,000 in interest every single month in revenues at zero? 
Oh, did I mention that's just the interest? He still has utilities. Very likely he still owes money on the land, the building. He still has insurance costs that don't just disappear. And his story is an American story right now. That story goes for big businesses. That story goes for little businesses. Those mom-and-pop restaurants you have. I have several around me who are either barely clinging on or they flat-out closed in an attempt to stay open longer before they run out of business. Look, I have one right up the road. That's what they did. They laid everybody off. They closed the doors in an attempt to hold back the inevitable. But we're not, we're not facing just the ticking time bomb of a virus that may explode through society. We are facing a ticking time bomb where businesses, banks, large and small, they're going to run out of money. And when they start running out of money, that creates a domino effect. He doesn't get paid back, and he doesn't get paid back, and he doesn't get paid back. And that cascades worse than any virus you've ever seen in your friggin' life. Jesse Kelly Show. You know, I'm sorry this is going to be so direct. Actually, I'm not sorry. (laughs) What, Chris? A lot of you screw up something when it comes to food, and... While this story is about a woman, it's mostly dudes that do it. And this is what I mean. Food, what makes a great sandwich or pie or whatever it may be, nachos, whatever it may be, is the ratios. It's all about the ratios. And it's easy for people to fall into this trap of thinking the thing I like the most about it, I just need a lot of extra on that. And the reason I pointed out dudes in the beginning is you'll get guys say this a lot when it comes to something like uh, like a cheesesteak. Perfect example. I am a cheesesteak freak. I eat cheesesteaks everywhere I can get them. I think it's one of the most underrated foods out there. It's just perfect. And here's what you'll get when it comes to dudes. It's it's almost always during football season. And some guy will be like, man, you need to get that cheesesteak with triple meat. Oh, it was a good cheesesteak, but it needed another pound of beef. No. A cheesesteak obviously needs a good amount of meat. But it's a meat to cheese to onions to bread ratio. You need an appropriate ratio. I don't need a pound of chopped up beef in a bun. I need the appropriate ratios. 
It's same thing comes to flavor. I like green onions or uh, green peppers. I'm, I'm okay with them. I'm not. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but I'm okay with them. And the wife makes this great slow cooker spaghetti sauce. And she used to, early on in our marriage, she used to put green peppers in the spaghetti sauce. Until finally I said, we need to lose the green peppers. And she says, I don't understand why. I thought you said you like green peppers. And I said, I do like green peppers. I didn't say I didn't. Well, if you like green peppers, then why do you want green peppers in this? Why don't you want green peppers in the spaghetti sauce? And I said to her, well, that's all I can taste. As soon as you add green peppers into the spaghetti sauce, it's not a spaghetti sauce. It's green pepper sauce. And I don't want green pepper sauce on my spaghetti. Which brings us to our current predicament, Chris. You're not going to believe this. The wife is a baker. right? She does baked stuff really, really, really well. She just does. It's one of her specialties. Cobblers and all this stuff. But the best thing she makes in the world is oatmeal cream pies. You know what I'm talking about, oatmeal cream pies? You've seen the Little Debbie ones, right? Most people, you've probably seen the Little Debbie ones, even if Chris, who hasn't because he's like 12 years old, the, the, the oatmeal cookie with the white cream inside of it, right? Delicious. Universally beloved by everybody who's not a communist. Oatmeal cream pies, delicious. She makes them homemade. And when I say homemade, I mean the cookies from scratch and the cream on the inside from scratch. They are, they'll change your life. I still dream about them sometimes. I dream about, they're that good. It's one of those, we live in one of those neighborhoods where they have a get together every other month for some reason. Oh, it's July 4th. Oh, it's Halloween. And there's like the whole neighborhood gets together. Kids run around and play. And it's always one of those things where everybody brings a meal. Although they tell me not to since I brought Little Caesars pizza last time. But everybody brings some some food item. Hers are gone in five seconds. Now the whole neighborhood knows and they wait there. Whenever there are extras, whenever she makes them now, she hides them in the house because the boy, the boys and I will shred through them before we can ever get to a party. And I don't care what she says. She can yell and scream all she wants. I'm having some oatmeal cream pots. My wife is not your wife. We're at a social gathering the other night. You know, kids running around. It's a pretty laid back affair. And one of the girls was, it was, it was her birthday. And they pull out this drink, the, the girls do, to have a little sip of uh, uh, tequila rose. Now, I will admit I was not familiar with tequila rose. It's essentially strawberry cream with alcohol in it. I certainly wouldn't, as a dude, be caught dead drinking it. And if I did, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. It's like that bad song thing we did. Remember that segment, Chris? Shut up. That's a good song. That's another matter. So the wife takes a sip of the tequila rose and says, you know what? I'm going to make my oatmeal cream pies, and I'm going to make the cream filling tequila rose flavored, strawberry cream flavored. See, Chris, this is why you're an idiot. Chris already is interested. What 
why would you change it? If you add the tequila rose flavoring to the cream on the inside, if you do that, then what you're doing is you're trying to stomp on the greatness of the cookie. The cookie is not simply on the oatmeal cream pie as a vehicle to get the cream into your mouth. The cookie is an integral part of the oatmeal cream pie. That's no different than the cheesesteak guy saying, this needs an extra pound of meat. These stupid breaks. I'm not finished yet. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. The oatmeal cream pie doesn't need tequila rose flavored cream on the inside. It doesn't need anything. Part of the greatness of it is its ratios are perfect. The cookie has just as important a role to play as the cream on the inside. And I know this makes me weird to some people, but Oreos are a great example. Oreos magnificent. You know what isn't as good? And you're a freaking liar if you say otherwise. Double stuffed. It's not as good. You see, you agree, right? It's not as good. It's not as good. Yes, I like the cream on the inside. No, I didn't need you to quadruple it. So now I have it squirting out the side of my mouth. Quit, Chris. Grow up. Grow up. Got to get some maturity in here. It's all about the ratios. I don't need tequila rose flavored cream stomping on my cookies. Now, as for the task at hand, all the experts and all the world leaders said we have to lock down an entire nation, right? Right? Or or did they? This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I really can't believe they're letting us do this nationwide, Chris. This show has no business being on anything but ham radio. Ham radio is sweet. Isn't that awesome? You know, one of the things, I'm just going to go full doomsday prepper here for a second because I just thought of this and I don't actually prepare anything for the show. I so One of my good buddies, he was... One of the special operations guys in the military, and that's all I'm going to say. And when I say one of them, I mean was one for years. Like this dude, bad dude, really bad dude. He did a long thing one time. He and I went back and forth on it, on fighting like a guerrilla warfare against the government. You know, picture you're the Viet Cong. I mean, not not that I would suggest you ever become the Viet Cong, but 
What, Chris? I was trying to think of a good example. I understand that may not have been the best one. All right, you're the you're the you're the uh, the founding fathers. You're George Washington. All right, you're fighting a guerrilla war against an entrenched power. And one of the things he talked about, he said the most underrated thing, the thing nobody thinks about when they're talking about fighting a guerrilla war, the hardest thing. And he said, going forward, it'll be the hardest thing ever. It'll be way harder than ever before was communications. If you're, by the way, I'm not encouraging a rebellion. We're going to get thrown off the air the first day we go national. I'm not encouraging some rebellion here, people. I'm just talking randomly. You're going to find I do that a lot. He said the hardest thing is they have better communications than you do. And now, because everything is technological and everything can be tracked, you you all saw that video of somebody did a video and he was very matter of fact about, you know what, Chris, we should find that video and pull the audio of it, of the guy who tracked all the spring breakers cell phones, or he was talking about how they tracked it. Pull that audio of that thing. We'll play it for everybody. And you'll hear it in the video where they tracked the individual, not, not as a group, the individual cell phones of people on a spring break beach. And then... They tracked it for like two or three weeks, and you can hear him in the video. I'll play it for you in a second, where he's like, well, and you can see how this is spread across the country as we track the individual phones back to Topeka, Kansas. And you're like, wait, what? And so back to my rebellion thing as I go off completely off the deep end here. How do you communicate with other units these days? Your cell phone is, I mean, it's a walking bug. It's trackable. It's listenable. It is. How do you communicate? Anyway, enough of that, Chris. I have an update. The I uh, the IH. ME model has been updated. Now let me let me explain exactly what that means. We have used as a nation, right or wrong, I've been the one saying it's wrong, but who really knows? We have used this report, this model created by a guy. We have used it as our guidance on how many deaths we're going to have in the country, on how many hospital beds we're going to need. We have used it as the reason we have locked down the United States of America. And understand this. You may agree with that. You may not agree with that. But that is the model we used. And again, like I said at the end of last hour, not Everybody is doing what we're doing. Yes, lots of countries are. But there are countries like Sweden. They're not. They're not closing schools. They're not deciding we're going to close down the nation. They're not wrecking their own economy. They're not. They are seeing elevated cases that we aren't seeing. Yes. Are they massively elevated? No. And they're not trashing their own economy for it. 
that's the model I'd like. I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm saying this. Better model. Keep your nation functioning. But back to our model. We are using that as guidance on what we should be doing. And whoo boy, what do you know? It's already updating this morning. And what do you know? The projected numbers are all starting to go down, down, down. Now, here's where it's going to get dicey when we talk about this, Chris. The people who create these doomsday models, they have virtually no incentive to undersell the deaths. They don't. If you put out a model and say, a million people are going to die, and then five million people die, well, now you're the idiot who costs four million people their lives. That's just the bottom line. But if you put out a model that says, a million people are going to die, and then 100,000 people die, you're like, whoa, whoo, thank goodness I warned everyone what would happen if they didn't do what I say. Look at all the lives I saved. Anyway, back to my college class. See you, everybody. This is the problem with models and projections. When you create models, when you use projections, you're not striving for accuracy. You're striving for the same thing all of us are striving for. You're striving to cover your rear end. And if you use a model, as we did, a model that said we were about to have one to two million dead Americans, and it turns out we come way below that number, Shouldn't there be some kind of accounting for that? I mean, if we're going to wreck the greatest economy the world has ever known in the name of a model, does the model's creator have no accountability? Do the people using the model have no accountability? How does that work? Chris, I'm all ears. How, how does that work? You wrecked the economy because you said we were going to have this many dead Americans. And you're already dropping the numbers. This is from Alicia Smith of Bravo TV. They have updated the IHME model. Overall, U.S. deaths projected has decreased from 93,000 and change to 81,000 and change. Total bed shortage went from 87,000 to 36,000. They adjusted the peak dates. The peak hospital use is now projected to be 4.8 instead of 4.9. The peak daily deaths is supposed to be 4.9 instead of 4.10. That's just a few days from now. The total deaths now projected at 15.6 instead of 16.3. That's out of just New York, by the way. Florida, same thing, total deaths down. Virginia, same thing, total deaths down. Michigan, I'm not going to read through all the details because I don't do details like some nerd. But they're already revising it down. And here's the issue. 
is you're going to have people who I, I'm sure they're already blowing up the phones or sending their emails screaming at me saying, you just want people to die so you can be right. No. I'm big on accountability. If we're going to launch the United States of America into a recess, recession or Great Depression, you better be right with your projections. The Jesse Kelly Show. All the experts and all the world leaders and all the countries are doing the same thing, right? They're all locking down, right? No. Here's Sweden. The Swedish, this is from uh, conversation.com, Paul Franks. The Swedish approach to COVID-19 could not be born different from its neighbors, placing much of the responsibility for delaying the spread of the virus and protecting the vulnerable in the hands of the public. What? Chris? Placing it in the hands of the public? How in the world could we trust people to do the right thing when... When we have government masters. Back to the article. It's now April. Albeit with some restrictions, Swedish bars, restaurants, and schools remain open. Now hold on one second. On to this point for a moment. Bars, restaurants, and schools remain open. Setting aside the lawsuit factor, which we're going to get to in just a second. Why wouldn't a bar in a restaurant specifically stay open? And I can hear what you're saying, right? Jesse, people are going to spread it around. Do you have any idea how invested a restaurant is in making sure you don't get sick at their restaurant? Have you ever talked to a restaurant owner, a restaurant manager, about the steps they take to ensure cleanliness, about the inspections they get? You think restaurants can't adjust? My local grocery store has adjusted. They have tape marks on the floor indicating where you should stand when you wait in line so you can stay separated from people. They have hand sanitizer every 15 feet. You think a restaurant can't take those same steps? With masks and gloves and tables sitting far apart. Hand sanitizer, soap everywhere. And you can say to yourself, well, Jesse, what is that? Why even risk it? People, there is a depression coming if we don't get going again. A depression coming. That that restaurant that's no big deal to you, well, it's just Applebee's. It has more moving parts than you can possibly comprehend, and it is more integrated in with the economy of your community and as a nation as a whole than you can possibly comprehend. And let me explain. Let us say 
because I used to do construction. I was a project manager for a while. Well, I was in the ditch for a long time, and then I eventually moved up to project management. Shut up, Chris. You have to start somewhere. Here's how a construction project works. This is very, very rough, but it's going to give you some idea of what I'm talking about. Let's say I'm doing a big waterline project. They run on even a simple waterline project or sewer project. It runs on a complicated schedule where certain things have to happen in certain time frames and they all have to work together or it blows up the whole thing. Okay, I need to make sure I have all my pipe in by this date, but I also have to make sure I'm getting all of my pipe fittings and accessories in from a different place, but they have to make sure they're there on this date or else the water line can't start. I also have to make sure at the same time I'm getting all the things I need for this pump station way down the line so I can begin it exactly three weeks before I begin putting in the line because the pump station has to be done before the line gets there. And, oh, by the way, do you see, I, I I just went over for you a brief three or four item thing on a construction schedule. It's called a schedule. Do you know how many things there are on that schedule? A has to happen at the same time B happens or C can't happen. Well, at the same time, item D and item T have to be completed along the same lines now. Just one of those suppliers or subcontractors goes out of business, goes belly up. Everything can blow up on you. Now, what if you shut down an economy and four of those guys go belly up? The reverberations of pointing your finger at certain parts of the economy and deeming those parts to be, quote, non-essential, it ripples throughout the entire society. The entire society. What are you seeing right now across the United States of America? I mean, all we hear about right now is we're worried about hospital shortages, right? We're worried about shortages. We can't overwhelm the healthcare system. We better make sure the healthcare system doesn't get overwhelmed. Let's make sure we can't overwhelm the healthcare system. And we're seeing medical personnel laid off across America because we have told hospitals they cannot perform elective surgeries. Elective surgeries are what pays the bills in a hospital. You strolling into the emergency room with a runny nose does not pay the bills. The guy getting his gallbladder removed pays the bills. The guy getting his hip replaced pays the bills. The lady getting new boobs pays the bills. You don't have to like that, but that is a fact. And when you point your finger at the hospital and say to them specifically, you will stop making money, Well, hospitals, they don't run on fairy dust. They run on money like everything else. And now you've essentially wrapped your fingers around their throat and you've begun to squeeze. This economy works in sync. Every little part, even the parts you think don't apply to you, do apply to you in one way or the other. The ripple effect will be, gosh, endless. Endless. Back to the article. I got a little distracted, Chris. Shut up. 
Under the blue skies and blazing sun Sweden has been enjoying lately, people have flocked to parks, beaches, bars, and cafes. Nevertheless, Sweden has a high number of people living in single households, and citizens are generally respectful of public health advice and guidelines. I can't believe there are that many single when all the Swedish chicks are hot. But, Chris, it's true. I mean, they're all blonde. They're all blonde. Anyway, be that as it may. Uh, you're not a blonde guy. And let me just let me just say this. I'm not really a blonde guy either as far as, oh, look, it's a blonde. But I've made this argument before, and I think I'm right on this. Blondes aren't everybody's number one. In fact, they're probably not most people's number one. Probably 20 30% prefer a blonde. Every, but they're in everybody's top five. What? No, you're talking, Chris just said how many hairstyles are there because he can't think on this higher level that I think on. I'm not just talking about hairstyles, man. That goes down to races and everything else, dude. Some people, I mean, black chicks aren't blonde. A lot of dudes prefer black chicks. Asians aren't blondes. A lot of people prefer Asians. I don't look at an Asian chick and think, well, that chick has dark hair. I think that that's an Asian chick, Right. Are we allowed to talk about this? Are we going to get in trouble again? I don't care. I'm talking about it anyway. What I'm saying is, I mean, look, you could even say that some dudes prefer women who are bigger. And that's fine. Whatever, man. You want a little junk in the trunk? That's all your business. What I'm saying is I wouldn't look at a dude who prefers a a bigger woman. I have one of my buddies who really prefers them quite, quite healthy. And I wouldn't look at his woman, even if she was blonde, and say, that's a blonde, right? It's not a blonde. That's not what defines her. That's that's a large one. That's what define what? I didn't, is this? We're going to get in trouble. All right. We're going to talk to Chad Prather about this. He's going to make us laugh. Hang on a second. I figured we all would need a voice like this during times like this because, look, what else are you going to do but laugh? Is my man Chad Prather of the Chad Prather Show. (laughs) It kills me. Chad, so I had this argument with Chris before the show. Well, during the show, actually, because I'm unprofessional. And the argument was that blondes are not everybody's number one. But they're in everybody's top five. I would say top three. To which Chris mm. to which Chris responded and said, well, there's only a few hair colors. And I said, no, that's not necessarily true. There's only a few. There's several ways you would define a woman. If I see a black chick, I don't say, oh, she has dark hair. That's a black chick. You know, some dudes are into black chicks. So what makes a blonde defines a blonde. Do you think, are they in your top three? Uh, well, I lost my virginity to a redhead, so I'm going to have to stick right there. 
And then I'm going to have to tell you that in about two weeks, 85% of all blondes are going to disappear from the planet. (laughs) (laughs) They can't get into the salon, Jesse. They can't go. I, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't think about it like that. Now, if you, I dated, I, 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 let, let me put it another way. I, uh, yeah, I, let's just say I dated a blonde, a true blonde, like a true blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, that ain't all it's cracked up to be. Now, now the bottle blonde is one thing, but the true blonde, it's not all it's cracked up to be. There's a lot going on there. There's, there's a lot going on there. And look, the reason people think that blondes are idiots is because they haven't had to be smart so much of their life. So they get to the adulthood and they don't develop a personality. I've always said there's nothing worse for a chick than to be super hot when she's young because then she's just going to be dry as a popcorn fart. That's so true. That is so true, Jesse. That's why people listen to this show. It's yes. the wisdom. It is true. It is true. All right, Chad. Um, the revising models, everything's revising down, while at the same time, everything we're hearing from the federal government is that we're about to all die coming this week. Well, at the same time, the local governments are arresting people for standing too close to each other. I'm not making that up. And I feel like I have I have just woken up in a completely separate planet. What is your take on all this madness? I can almost uh, – yeah, I saw a meme actually that summed it up. It was the Founding Fathers drafting the Constitution, and the meme said, uh, this is all null and void if there's a virus. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, that's kind of the case, you know, Patrick Henry said, give me Liberty or give me death. And now everybody's willing to turn over, you know, everything for a virus that we really don't know anything about. It's all speculation at this point. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, I, I keep a letter in my truck. I, I travel to the studio. I'm in the studio now, uh, here at blaze. And, you know, I keep a letter in my, in my truck in case I get pulled over by the police or stopped or something, you know, to say, look, I, I'm essential. Uh, I'm really not, but I can fool people. It, it's so, I, you know, what do you do in this situation? I'm with you on this whole, you don't shut down a country. You don't kill an economy over something like this. Uh, you know, I was just reading a report talking about how many deaths there are and how many cases there are of coronavirus in New Orleans, which is actually double New York City. Uh, but even still, the numbers are minuscule compared to so many other things going on in the world. I recognize the fact that if you have an underlying health issue, there's a good chance that coronavirus could uh, exponentially increase the effects of that underlying condition. I get that. Then you stay home. You stay home. But this idea of of going to Costco and having to stand on a sticker while somebody checks out in front of you and you're going to be castigated and flogged and flagellated if if you don't – if you cross that spot, you know, it's just absolutely ludicrous. I mean I saw a dude wearing a diaper over his face the other day in the grocery store. Oh, sorry for trying to be safe. (laughs) Now, Chad – puts a diaper in a rubber band? What concerns me, and this genuinely concerns me, I opened up the show and it was a brilliant opening. I'm telling you what, spellbinding. I was spellbound by myself. But I opened up the show, and what concerns me the most is that going forward, throughout the rest of our our country's lifetime, however long that is, Lord willing, a long time, that our response here and abroad is going to be this. Anytime there's a pandemic, that this has now become 
a socially acceptable thing of, well, let's just send everyone home and close up shop. And that's what I think is the most dangerous thing that's going to come out of this is we've opened Pandora's box and just for some reason have agreed that, well, I guess we're closed now. Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, You add what's going on to human nature, and that's exactly what you get. I've been saying that for a while, that, you know, there's a good chance that this coronavirus, this woo flu, this uh, chop fluey, uh, this mugu guy pandemic is going to be seasonal. And if it's seasonal, seasonal, then it's going to keep coming around. That means we got to do this every single year. And, And sure enough, the headline comes out yesterday, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci says, good chance it's going to be seasonal. So you're exactly right. At what point in time do people say, screw it, you're not the boss of me? But, but again, I go back to something I've said for a long, long time. We're not conservatives anymore. We've allowed the government to expand, 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 and become this big you know, uh, monster that you've got to continually feed. And so at this point, we have now succumbed to what was already there, it was just kind of kept in the shadows, and that is the tyranny of the American government. And and we're willing, because we are so in love with our own lives, we're willing to allow that to happen. It's it's truly, I mean, we're, you know, never going to dance again. Guilty feet have got no rhythm. Yes, yeah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so my biggest problem right now with the American people as a whole is their inability to understand the ratios when it comes to foods, especially things like cheesesteaks. You see, (laughs) I have been arguing this forever, and for some reason this point is not getting through, that I love a good cheesesteak. And I'll run into, especially dudes, we're terrible at this. I get these dudes who tell me, well, it needs a pound of more beef. No, it doesn't. A cheesesteak is about the cheese to meat to Mm -hmm. onion to bread ratio, and I think it's just too simplistic, this kind of thinking, that it only needs more meat. I don't don't abide by that at all. I I agree with you, and now I know what I'm going to have for for dinner tonight. (laughs) We just just came out with a song. The worldwide release is today. The song is called Quarantine Life. And it's about what husbands and wives or boyfriends and girlfriends or whatever, people that live together, ought to be doing during this quarantine. And that's sex uh, and eating and drinking and having a good time, you know. Uh, and so I'm with you. I think that uh, during these quarantines, I think we, we need to use it as an excuse to eat our cheese steaks, drink our beer, get a little bit fatter. It's okay. Um, I'm hoping that come summertime, some of these blondes have a good personality because they're not going <laughs> to be beach body ready. <laughs> You know, see, this is the best part of being a dude, Chad, is you know how many women out there, and my wife's one of them, are severely stressing this. They're severely stressing the fact that they feel like they're getting out of shape. I haven't stressed it at all. I'm like, wow, this is, you know what? I am going to have queso for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Listen, man, I've discovered that I can survive on frozen pizzas. (laughs) Uh, it's just, it's just me and the red Baron. We're all, we're all holed up at the house and, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's all good. Wow. I had no idea you were doing so well. We eat Totino's in my house. You get like a box (laughs) of 10 for 10 bucks. I'm telling you what, it's best food value out there besides McDonald's $1 sausage burritos. If I get to Totino's, we're really in deep, uh, caca (laughs) here in this country. (laughs) All right, Chad, in all seriousness, serious question before we go, how much, Food and water for a family do you keep on hand in general? I ask this to everybody. I'm genuinely curious what people do. None? A ton? Do you have a bunker somewhere? What, what do you do? 
No, you know, I'm not Glenn Beck, so I don't have a bunker. I, I uh, or armed guards in the cabana <laughs> out front at the driveway. But I, you know, we we keep enough that we could we'd be fine for a month to six weeks. And so, you know, we we've got the stores, you know, the food that'll last 25 years. God knows how, but. Uh, we've got a couple of buckets of that stuff that we keep around in the water and things like that. But, I mean, it's just, you know, I've lived through a situation where we had a massive ice storm years ago, and we were stuck in the house for six weeks. And so I just always try to keep that on hand. Chad Prather of the Chad Prather Show. I appreciate you, my friend. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Since we're already undoubtedly in trouble for all the blondes talk and all that, let's just go all in, Chris. I mean... First day of being nationwide, let's make sure we get in as much trouble as humanly possible. And that is important. And I'll tell you why it's important that we get in so much trouble on day one. Everything in life, everything in life is about setting the bar. It's about not what you're experiencing. It's about what you're experiencing versus your expectations. I love Waffle House. Most women hate Waffle House. But I love Waffle House because I know what I'm getting when I walk into Waffle House. I understand there's going to be too much butter. I understand there's going to be too much grease. I understand there's a reasonable chance somebody's going to get in a fight. Somebody might start smoking crack while I eat. But I understand that going in. It meets my expectations. If I walk into a big, fancy, schmancy steakhouse, I know I'm going to pay a huge amount of money to be there. I know I'm going to get a great cut of meat when I get there. If I don't get a great cut of meat when I get there, now there's a problem. If I order the steak and eggs at Waffle House, I don't expect a great cut of meat. Therefore, there's no problem. The exact same thing happens. With women. And let me tell you where I blew this. Right when we got married. I mean, my wife isn't big on the material stuff. But right when we got married. First Valentine's Day. I wanted to impress her, right? And guys, I need you to hear me on this. Your wife is going to get mad at you. The women are going to be screaming at me through the radio for this. However, I'm right. And that's just the way it's going to be. I went out first Valentine's Day. And this was, I mean, I mean, we were young and poor. I didn't have any money. I spent like a grand on a piece of jewelry for the wife for Valentine's Day. And you know what I did? And my wife, who's not a materialistic person, person, to this day, like 14 or 15 years later, I don't know, I haven't kept track, kind of expects a nice piece of jewelry on Valentine's Day. Because I set the bar. I have nobody to thank for that but myself. I told her by doing that right off the bat, Valentine's Day, that's a day you could expect something nice. I know what I'm getting. Everything is about expectation level, everything. When I show up to work, 
and I sit down on the mic, I don't expect a lot out of Chris because I've never gotten a lot out of Chris. He's not even capable of doing a lot. I know I'm going to get just nothing but bad opinions from over there. I know I am. Therefore, it's fine because I'm expecting that. If I expected genius, then it'd be a disappointment. So when it comes to all these nationwide stations we're on now, they're going to get some phone calls about the show. They're going to get some emails that that segment was offensive and you can't talk about big chicks like that. And you can't talk. They're, they're going to get phone calls. We all know that. So why not give them their phone calls now so they know? Do you see what I'm saying? It only makes sense. Now, what we're doing today, Chris, is we're setting the bar super low. They know while I'm on the air and as soon as we get off the air that they will be expected to feel a certain amount of complaints from the public. And as long as we condition them now, then that's not going to be a problem. I don't want to get in trouble a month from now and have that be the first time anybody gets in trouble. I need to get in trouble today. Uh, Jesse said he hates blondes. It's it's all got to be. Jesse can't say Asian chicks on the air. It's all got to be something like that. See what I mean? Life is about the bar, my man. It's all about the bar. When I, if I travel abroad, and if I were to ever, which I've never done, but if I were ever to stay in some thousand dollar a night hotel room, I would expect, you know, some Reese's peanut butter cups on the pillow or something. Something fancy like that. If I stay in a $50 a night hotel room, I'm going to expect to get hepatitis from the shower. That's just the way it is. It's all about the bar. I have no idea how we got to that. But Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is the UFC announcer. He has this humongous podcast. It's gigantic. Now, I don't expect you to give a crap what Joe Rogan says. Either you love him or you don't. I think the dude's super talented. But he had an interesting take, and this is what I've been arguing for a while because it's time, like I said, Chris, to go all in on getting in trouble. And here's here's the truth of the matter. People want their commander-in-chief to be physically and mentally capable of being able to do the job. And... If you're Hillary Clinton and you spend every speech going, (coughs) people are going to be worried. I say Hillary Clinton lost that election when she got chucked in the back of a van like an old love seat. Everyone knows that video I'm talking about when she very clearly was passed out on her feet and got chucked in the back of a van. When she was repeatedly pictured or videoed being practically carried up the stairs or down the stairs. I'll explain what I mean in just a second. Jesse Kelly Show.
this theory, and it's going to help explain, Chris. You know the theory. I have this theory, and it's going to help explain what I mean in the most offensive way humanly possible about how people want certain things that they won't admit that they want, especially in this society today when you're not allowed to tell people the truth. When I have been, I've been screamed at, I've lost more friends in the past couple weeks than you can possibly imagine. When I've been talking about, we have to get the economy going again. You don't stop everything. Yes, we are going to lose some people because there's a global pandemic and this thing is a deadly, disgusting disease. Even still, you don't stop the economy. And the reason I've lost so many friends and people are so mad at me about that is because we live in a world where people want to hear, well, look, when they fall off their bike, they want mommy to come over and say, it's okay, can I put some powder on your butt? What they don't want is dad to come over and say, get up and stop crying and get back on the bike. I'm not your mom. I'm your daddy. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. So before I get to my Biden stuff, let me allow me to expand on my offensive theory. I don't even think it's offensive, Chris. I just think it's a fact. Because of the shame society we live in today. And when I say shame society, I just mean things that people think more than ever before in this country's history, they do not feel comfortable saying. They just don't. They worry about being shunned because we live in a shunned society now. And I'm not just talking about the media. I'm talking about friends, family, neighbors. Have you ever seen these bored housewives on Facebook and the way they talk about each other? I'm not on there, but my wife will relay the things these people say. It's unbelievable. The way they'll just trash each other. Lose friends over things. We live in a shame society. Now, I get to say offensive things because for some odd reason you enjoy it. But if I were just a normal person in everyday life, and I were to come on the radio and say, we have had some, well, negative incidents, too many, of people who have immigrated from Somalia. And so I don't think at this point in time, until we can get a handle on it, I don't think as a nation we should accept any more immigrants from Somalia until we figure out what the problem is. Now, what I just said 
is how every single nation in the history of mankind has operated their immigration system. Every one of them. Well, we, we want some immigrants from here because we've had success there. We, we don't really want any from there. We only want a few from here based on our economic needs. That's how nations discuss immigration. But what I just said on the radio will get me in trouble. Or it would if people weren't already expecting that from me. It would. It will get me in trouble. It will. Because we live in a society where you're not allowed to say even obvious truths. And so I have this theory. It's called the gladiator theory. And this is my theory. Everybody knows the ancient Roman gladiator games. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Everyone's seen the movie Gladiator. Honestly, if you don't know what the gladiator games are at this point in time, I need you to turn off the radio and go get a book like right now. What I'm saying is they were horrible and violent. Gladiators killing each other. Gladiators killing animals. Gladiators killing prisoners. Prisoners being eaten by animals. Prisoners being crucified, tortured. I mean, you name it, it was a sea of violence at the gladiatorial games. And they packed the stadiums for them. Even the worst emperors, the worst emperors, knew that if you threw gladiatorial games for the people, they would be loved for it. They loved it. And human nature doesn't change. So if you were, in my theory, if you were to just take one gigantic football stadium in America and a big company put on this huge one-time event and they said, we are going to have gladiatorial games right here in the United States of America on pay-per-view. I'm talking the swords, the crucifixions, the tortures, the animal fights. You know how we're crazy in love with animals now. We are going to do it all right here in the United States of America for a one-time pay-per-view event. What would happen? Think about what would happen. Think for a moment about all the articles that would be written saying that this is the most horrific, barbaric thing ever. Think about what the cable news channels and major network news channels would do with that information. How many people that were involved they would track down and shame. How many news crews would be on, you know, they'd be on the lawn of the guy who's putting it on. They would systematically attempt to destroy all of it. There would be lawsuits. It would be endless. It would be a total, complete, and utter disaster. PR-wise. And after a week or two barrage of that, what would they do? They would go start finding normal American citizens. And they would ask them what they thought about it. And let's see, you're an American citizen. And, I mean, you've been online. You've seen all the news articles. And, oh, man, you've turned on the news at night. And they were all talking about these horrible barbarians. And, oh, man, this is really ugly out here. And they stuck a camera in your face as you're leaving your office and said, Hey, Bill, have you seen these disgusting gladiatorial games that are going to happen? Tell me, what do you think about it? What would you say? Well, very likely you'd say, "Uh, I'm not 
Well, I'm not going to watch. I think it's horrible. And your friends on Facebook would say, Tammy, are you going to watch? I think it's disgusting what they're doing. I heard they're going to hurt a leopard, and I'm not watching it, and nobody I'm seeing. And you would not be able to find three people in the United States of America who would come out and say, oh, man, I can't wait for this. You wouldn't. We would have successfully shamed every single person involved. And then the day would come and they'd throw the games with all the blood and all the guts and all the torture and all the horrible things that went on. And it would shatter every pay-per-view record there ever was. Because you'd all watch. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying human nature does not change. It doesn't. Cultures can change. You can shame people into silence on what they believe, but human nature does not change. I want you to listen to this newest clip from Joe Biden, and then you'll have a better understanding on why Joe Rogan, who previously said he was going to vote for Bernie Sanders, said he'd rather have Donald Trump than Joe Biden. It's a case where we cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy take second fiddle. Way that We can both have a democracy and elections and at the same time correct the public health. Huh? I did not edit that. I want you to understand that. That's not edited. That's not cobbled together multiple clips. That's a real clip from the man who's about to be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States of America. And in the same way, Hillary falling down a new set of stairs every day and being chucked in the back of a van Joe Biden is not going to get elected president in an environment where he probably should be. And I don't mean should be as if I want him. I mean, when you have the unemployment numbers we're going to have and you have the media picking at the scabs of this pandemic, that is ripe. That is a ripe environment for change. But the truth is people right now are scared and they're angry and they're desperate. And even if they're mad at Trump, They are not going to listen to that from Joe Biden and say to themselves, oh, we need that guy in charge. Even if people don't admit that's why they won't vote for him, I'm telling you right now, the fact that Joe Biden's head is made up of scrambled eggs is going to cost him the presidency. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. Well, 
I'm having some serious, serious dishwasher problems, Chris, and I mean some serious dishwasher problems. Whatever, I'll talk to her when I get home. Quit, Chris. We can make jokes about stuff. I told you we're going to knock out all the complaints right away. It's fine. Fine. In all seriousness, having some dishwasher difficulties. Now, I feel a little guilty, which you know as a fact, it's difficult for me to feel guilty because I'm a sociopath who only cares about himself. But I do feel a little bit bad and. Maybe it's not guilt because I don't know that I'm capable of that. As close to guilt as a sociopath can feel, that's what I feel. So here's what happened. Dishwasher is going nuts. And when I say going nuts, I mean it's just doing that like it's running all the time. What, Chris? I could do sound effects. That was the, it's, If you could hear it, you'd know that's exactly what it sounded like. So it's running all the time. I go out, I flip the breaker. You know, I'm a bit of a home maintenance guy. I go out and I flip the breaker off that was marked dishwasher. That's just what I do. I'm a higher level thinker. Flip the breaker off this marked dishwasher, and I do what any self-respecting American man would do, and I call a dishwasher repair place. And I call these guys, and they're like, yeah, we're going to come out. I'm not going to dime them out or anything like that. And they tell me, you know, they'll be there between – Five and eight on a Saturday night. And I'm like, like I don't have anything going on. But I'm like, yeah, that's fine. It's totally fine. They come out. Of course, I get a phone call. Remember, five to eight, they're supposed to be there. Of course, I get a phone call at about a quarter after eight. And I can already tell we're going to be struggling here. I, I don't know what kind of accent it was. It wasn't Mexican. I think it was Portuguese. I'm almost positive it was Portuguese, even though I've never been to Portugal. If you say something sounds Portuguese, you sound more educated. So I'm going to say it was Portuguese. But he had a strong accent. Pulls in. He's like, oh, having a little trouble uh, finding the place. And that's not his accent. But again, I'm not Portuguese, so I can't do his accent. I say to him, all right, pull in. Make a right at the stop sign. It's the fifth house on the right. Pull in, make a right. Okay. And he hangs up, and I'm like, I guarantee he didn't get what I just said. I guarantee he did not get what I just said. This is quarter after eight. Keep in mind. 25 after eight, I'm still sitting there, and he's not at my house, whereas he was previously just like 100 feet away from me. I'm like, oh, boy. So I walk out. I look on the street. And I look left of the stop sign, and sure enough, there's a car parked in the middle of the road with his flashers blinking. I call him, and I tell him, hey, uh, did you get lost, buddy? Third house on, or fifth house on the right. Yeah, I'm here. I said, are you here? Because I'm standing out in front of my house, and you're not here. No, I'm here. I, I don't. I don't understand how you could say you're here when I'm standing where your car would be and there's nobody here. Did you drive an invisible car over here? Uh, what, what's the address? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need you to do an address. I don't need you to GPS it. What I need you to do right now is put your car in forward because I'm staring at your headlights, which are like half a mile away, and I want you to start driving forward. Wait, what's the address? What I don't I don't need I don't I don't need to give you the address. I need you to take 
the shifter in the car and put it in drive and please drive forward. And I'm holding back, right, because this is tough economic times, and I understand he's not understanding me either, and I'm sure their company's certain, and I don't want the guy to get laid off. And plus, I believe all the way in treating service people with the utmost respect. I do. Waiters, waitresses, you, you name it, I treat people well. Treat people well, it's just, look, it's because I'm a man of high character, Chris, which is not true, but still. Finally, I get him driving forward, and I can tell he's he's inching forward. And, I, and I, so I'm still on the phone with him as he's doing this. I said, you can go ahead and drive because you have a little ways to go. And I can tell he's moved exactly one house down. Is it, is it this one? That's, it is not... It is not that one. You can actually drive. Just keep driving. You're like a half a mile away. And he inches to the next house. I'm not making this up and says, is it this one? And now I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not that one either. Please just keep going. Finally, finally, I get him close to me to where he's probably 50 to 60 feet away. I'm standing on the sidewalk in front of my house. I am standing now. I cannot emphasize this point enough. I'm in his headlights, standing there. Now, I understand we may have some new listeners because we're nationwide now. I am enormous. I am six foot eight. I am enormous. You cannot miss me. You would not be able to miss me if I were standing in the middle of Grand Central Station, let alone when I'm standing in your headlights in front of your van 50 to 60 feet away on the sidewalk. I still have him on the phone. He's parked two houses down now, and I'm standing on the phone, and I've got my right arm, which is huge. It is extremely long, and I've got my white arm, and I'm waving it in the air like I've been trapped on a deserted island for years, and I finally see a ship. I'm waving it with that kind of enthusiasm. I need to drive that point home. And I'm like, okay, you see me, right? You see me? You say, no, I don't, I don't, I, I don't see anything. I'm, and this is when I finally lost it. I'm like, buddy, are you messing with me right now? What, 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 what? I need to know if you're messing with me right now. There's no possible way you cannot see me right now. There's no possible way you cannot see me. And I start to get angry. And he's like, oh, oh, there you are. Okay, I see you. I see you. I see you. And he comes and he pulls in, and, and I, I just I'm so mad at this, but I know I want to cool off before I get back in, or before he gets inside. So I go walk inside and wait for him, and I tell the wife I'm like he's here. I I think I lost I lost my temper just a little bit on the phone, but I was okay. And of course I get the Jesse, he's out here in the middle of the night to fix our dishwasher, and you were mean to him. And I'm like, no, I wasn't really necessarily mean. Of course. Of course, he comes in the home. He tries to update me on what he's doing with the dishwasher the whole time, and he's got this busted English that I can't understand anything he's saying. And now I keep repeating back to him what he's saying, and it's wrong, and he's getting frustrated with me that I'm not getting, and the wife is getting frustrated with me because she's understanding. So this whole thing is a disaster. Finally, he fixes it, right? I've got it all fixed for you. Just sign this and we're good to go. Yes, he fixes it, right? Packs up his stuff, takes off. He's not gone 50.
15 minutes and the dishwasher turns right back on the way it did before. On my life. On my freaking life. I can't. I can't. I'm get. I can't. I'm going to blow a gasket. I'm going to blow a gasket just thinking about it, Chris. I don't even do angry radio, and I'm going to blow a gasket just thinking about it. And so now I'm going to have to call somebody else. And, and Well, no, now I have the choice. I can either call somebody else and pay a whole fortune again to someone else to come out, or I can call the same idiot I already hired to come back out in the hopes of saving money. And here's the thing. I know that I should just buck up and spend the money and call a different person because he knows it. But I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to do what you would do, Chris, because of who you are. And I'm going to call the same guy to try to save a buck. And he's going to come screw the whole thing up a second time. And then I'm still going to end up having to call somebody else. And I'll tell you what. I feel just terrible about having to watch my wife wash all the dishes by hand. Air Force PJ, that's the fancy spec op types. BK, BK, I don't know if I've ever actually asked you this. Did you join the Air Force to be a PJ, or did you join it just to coast like everyone else who joins the Air Force? No, I actually joined specifically uh, to be a PJ, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Um, It's funny because I actually contacted. I knew I wanted to do something cool guy. I mean, you know, what red-blooded American doesn't? So I contacted the Navy SEAL recruiter and the Air Force spec war recruiter, and the SEAL recruiter, like, blew me off. So And the Air Force guy was, like, all over me. So that kind of made my decision easy. So how did you even find out about the PJs? Because I have to be honest, most people don't know. They don't seem to realize that they're some of the baddest dudes on the planet. Most people don't even know about them. Like when I talk about Air Force Pararescue, they say (laughs) Air Force. Like they don't know about them, but this was something you did. How did you get switched on to that? Well, actually, I had read that book, uh, The Perfect Storm by Sebastian Junger, like a long time ago, about the rescue off the coast of New York and that huge storm they had where a couple guys died. I'd read that a long time ago, and I thought that was cool. And then, you know, my brother was a Marine Corps infantry officer, and 9-11 hit, and I was looking at, you know, trying to get into, like, special operations, and he kind of, he mentioned it, and then I just started doing a lot more research, and I was like, you know, seems pretty awesome to me. You get to go to all the cool guys' schools. You know, I was sold right off the bat. Who makes it and who doesn't through that kind of training? I mean, it's it's horrific. I, the washout rate for PJs is just absurd. <laughs> who makes yeah, it, it was, and who it, doesn't? Because big guys, little guys, all different people make it. What's the difference between the guy who doesn't make it and the guy who does? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cliche, Jesse, because it's it, it's true. You just don't know, and it's all about the guy who just doesn't want to, you know, give up. And for me, it was like for me, the driving force was, you know, I knew again my brother being in the military and all of his friends, and I was like, man, if I like, you know, 
puss out here and just give up and I'm going to have to go back and like face that. And that was just like something I couldn't even stand the thought of doing, you know, having to stand in front of my brother who'd been through a lot of hard times himself and, and, and say like, yeah, I was too weak. And so that, that made it easy for me. So it wasn't even a question of it. So no problem in that, but you know, it was tough, man. I I got like injured in the course. I got set back for a little, for a few weeks. Uh, so it was, it was not smooth sailing at all. What do we do about China? And I say it this way, let's, let's assume accidental or otherwise, we know this thing came from China. We know they covered it up. We know this is going to cost, I mean, we don't know how many right now, 100,000 lives in the world, 200,000 in the world. It's going to cost untold trillions of dollars. There is going to be a major worldwide cost to this. And I got to be honest, yep. man, I'm trying to wrap my brains around what's actually going to happen. Not what I want to happen, what's actually going to happen to China. And I can't come up with anything. Yeah, Jesse, you know, you and I, a long time ago, were saying that this whole thing is going to come with a tremendous cost-benefit analysis. And what are the true numbers are going to be? And, you know, there is some good news as we head into this week of April. I mean, first of all, the market's booming. Second of all, the University of Washington has just updated their projection model. The, the projected total deaths in America from the COVID-19 virus are now falling uh, down to 80,000. Hopefully, we can get that even lower. Uh, the entire state of California has lowered their total coronavirus death projection down to like under 2,000 people. And, and it's tough. You know, I'm, I'm, I've never been one to like point, you know, I'm not going to be one of these people on the Internet because Jesse, you see it every day. I know you do on social media. You see all the administration's enemies trying to point fingers and like blame. And I'm not an assigned blame guy because failure to plan for this was not just at the federal level. It was at the state level. It was very much a bipartisan thing. The last on Saturday's podcast, Jesse, the L.A. Times had a great story, which I went over about how then Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger of California was freaked out about the avian flu in 2006, and he built this enormous, like, portable, three portable hospital infrastructure with ventilators, the entire thing. It was a great emergency setup. And who dismantled that trying to cut costs but beloved Democratic icon, former Governor Jerry Brown? And I'm not going to get I'm not pointing fingers at him. It, it just it, it seems so unlikely at the time. And we had more pressing needs, Jesse. And as I also cover on the podcast, ABC had a great story where we had hundreds of thousands of people arriving in direct flights from China in just the month of January and February. This was always going to happen, Jesse, this pandemic. It was ne- and, and, and no U.S. president, no governor of New York, no mayor of New York City was ever going to just completely shut down their local respective economies until we saw the alarming rise in bodies. So as far as China, though, that is some actual malice, because if you look at some of the studies, they say if China had been more proactive and honest with what they were dealing with, they could have contained like 90 plus percent of the coronavirus spread within their borders, and we never would have even had this mess. So what happens now? Who knows? I did see one person make the observation that the World Health Organization byline for its member countries, of which China is one, states that those countries have to have full cooperation and can't engage in deception. Are we going to expel them now from the World Health Organization? Are there going to be sanctions? It remains to be seen, Jesse. It should be interesting. It does remain to be seen. And my my thought is, 
there's all this talk out there. I mean, we're not going to have a hot war with China, or at least people better no. back on well hope we're not going to have a hot war with China because I don't think people really understand what that means. But I see a lot of talk, and I see this from U.S. Senators, VK, about, well, let's just, we're just going to cancel our debt. We're going to get China to cancel our debt and not pay our debt back. And that is one of those things that sounds great when you're standing on the Senate floor, and it sounds great when you're putting it on social media. When the rest of the world sees you just decide you're not going to pay back a trillion dollars in debt, um, that's going yeah, to what hurt happens us bad. Then? Yeah, that's going to hurt yeah. us bad. Then no one else loans us money if they think you're the kind of country that does that. Right. The United States dollar is the reserve currency of the world for a reason. Countries look at us and say, like, you know what, for all of our flaws, and there are many, uh, this, the full faith and credit of the United States still means something. And they feel that our country, with its capitalism combined with our fairly good rule of law, uh, makes it a safe place. And if we decide, well, we're not going to do that, then, you know, maybe it doesn't become the reserve currency of the world. And, you know, with, with China, one good thing that may come out of this, as we've discussed in the past, there's a lot of talk now about why are we allowing all of our drug making and our manufacturing capability to rest in these other countries? I mean, we don't even have the capability in some cases to make penicillin in the United States. So uh, one good conversation, hopefully, that comes of this is we're going to take a hard look at some of those manufacturing shortfalls and it's not just the drugs and the life-saving drugs. It's the simple stuff, Jesse, the, the masks and the gowns and the gloves. You know, we, we, we aren't making these things anymore, and now we're scrambling. And I think people now are going to take a hard look at that as well, say, you know, I mean, for national security reasons, we just can't offshore this stuff anymore. BK is his name. If you have one weekly podcast, that's the one you need. World News with BK. My brother, I appreciate you. We will talk to you again shortly, I'm sure. Thanks, Jesse. Be good, brother. China, huh? Let's talk about that. Hang on. Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. Chris, do you have Amazon Prime? Of course you do. Everybody does. Honestly, I don't think I've ever ever talked to anybody who doesn't have Amazon Prime. Please tell me you've seen that show, Hunters. The Hunters? You're Jewish. How have you not seen The Hunters? You don't even know what it's about, do you? You're an idiot. It's got uh, Al, Al Pacino's in it. It's so good. And it's, it's fiction. It's, it's all fiction. Okay? But here's, it's, it's basically America in the 70s. And the basic premise behind it is all these horrible Nazis escaped Nazi Germany, and they're now living in the United States of America. I'm only like two or three episodes into it. Not only are they living here, they are in seats of power. They're bribing congressmen, senators, presidents, and they're trying to bring everything back. Like, they're trying to bring back Nazi Germany. And The Hunters is Al Pacino, and I'm at least so far into it. And by the way, there might be some spoilers here. I'm unprofessional. It's fine. He finds this uh, Jewish kid whose mom gets, or grandma gets killed, and she was in the Holocaust. And he recruits this kid into this group of assassins. And they go around finding all these Nazis and killing them. 
It's not necessarily for the kids. It's not at all for the kids, to be honest with you, but it's pretty sweet. Who doesn't like to see Nazis dying? And it is actually really, really cool. Mitchell, have you seen it? It's a sweet show. Like one of the first ones was there was this uh, lady. Uh, she had been one of Hitler's friends or something like that. She was a Nazi chemist that helped come up with the gas they used to gas all the Jews. And now she's living in Florida, relaxing. The, I mean, I could have done without the visuals with this, but essentially what happened is she's an older, a little overweight old lady. And when I say older, I mean 60 or 70 years old. What, Chris? It's, I'm going to get to that in a second. I wasn't. Let me just explain. 60 or 70 years old, and she gets into the shower. Of course, they have to show her, you know, complete. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm still scarred from it. So they show her taking off her robes and all that stuff, getting into the shower and showering and what people wear in the shower, which is not something I'll probably forget anytime soon. Go ahead and lock that one away. Long story short, she gets into the shower. And as soon as she showers, or she, soon, she, 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 I sound like Nancy Pelosi. As soon as she closes the shower door, a latch pops out that they had installed. The assassins had installed that locked her into this glassed-in shower. It wasn't a curtain. It was glassed in. And she starts showering, and the water shuts off at one point, And she looks up at it, and she doesn't know what's going on. And pss, gas starts coming out of the shower head. So this horrible Nazi chemist, evil witch, gets gassed in her own shower. It was sweet. <laughs> Again, it's not necessarily for the kids or like for my mom or anything like that. But somebody like you with no feelings, you would enjoy it. You would enjoy it for sure. I have no idea how we got on that subject at all. Anyway, by the way, speaking of Nazis, now that we're bringing this up, I saw that illegal border crossings have basically dropped to zero. They say they've dropped to zero because of the outbreak here. One, that's a lie. They're still bringing in drugs by the tonnage. By the tonnage, that's a lie. Two, I have no doubt it has dropped significantly. Did you know the Spanish flu? Now, everybody knows that there was a big epidemic in 1918 of the Spanish flu. It was this nasty flu that came out. And it started killing a bunch of people. I might open the show with it tomorrow. Either way, long story short, killed 5% of Mexico. Isn't that amazing? 5% of the country gone. But it really brings it home to the fact that the Black Death killed half of Europe. Isn't that astounding to think about? And you know what? That's a guess. They don't know. Some say 60%. Some say more. So many people died. I realize this is not necessarily the most uplifting way to leave the show, but you're going to understand that I don't have a great filter here. So many people died in the Black Death that they don't know how many died. They were just, I mean, whole families would be dead. And that, uh, that scene from, uh, it's not History of the World, Chris. It's one of the Monty Python movies, the Bring Out Your Dead. Monty, search for the Holy Grail. Monty Python, search for the Holy Grail. Bring Out Your Dead and all that. That was how it went. It was load up your dead in the back of a wagon while a priest rides off and chucks them in the ditch. And they just buried them. I mean, that is... I realize that got really dark really fast. But I should say, and I mean this, and you're going to hear me repeat this several times, you don't 
you don't have to look at this all negatively. Yes, there's a deadly pandemic. Yes, the economic destruction is going to be significant. This is no question about it. We will feel what we've already done. The steps we've already taken economically will still will feel those for years. I have I've fielded endless emails from people who've lost it all already, lost their business already. But one thing I'll leave you on that is a bright note if you look at it the right way. You're all going to die. <laughs> Quit. We are all going to die. Don't you want to die with some stories? Don't you want to die having lived through some crazy stuff? I want to die with some stories. I don't want to die, you know, cradle to the grave. Everything was just gravy train, man. You've only got a little time in this world. Die with some stories. Jesse Kelly Show. This is a real. This has a real Miami Vice feel to it. This music, I like that. I think I would have been awesome in Miami Vice if that had been a real thing, Chris. You know what was underrated back then was the rolled-up sleeves on the sports jacket. <laughs> what? That looks awesome. And the high top sneakers. Remember everyone wore high tops? Well, you wouldn't remember. You were born in like 2010. But they had high top sneakers back then in the pumps. Don't distract me. It's the end of the show. Anyway, back to the dying with some stories. So I had this conversation with someone uh, at our get together the other night. And it was a chick. And she said... To my wife and I, she was talking about how Forrest Gump was a sad movie. And I was like, sad? What? And she said, yeah, he just had such a tragic life. Do you think he had a tragic life? I think he had the coolest freaking life ever. I mean, you could say, why? What makes it tragic? Because his mom died? Everyone's mom dies. I'm not being mean, Chris. I don't want anybody's mom to die. And that came off wrong. I mean, because his friend died, your friends are going to die. Because his love of his life turned out to be a bit of a hoe bag. That happens. He still has lived quite a sweet life. Medal of Honor. Met a bunch of presidents. Billionaire. I mean, yeah, Jenny gave him an STD. But there's, I mean, what are you going to do? I don't know what you're going to do. I think he had a cool life. I want to die with some stories, Chris. All right. We're going to be back tomorrow to do this again, provided we don't get fired from our nationwide show after the first day. Made sure I mixed in plenty of offensive content there. Again, remember, it's all about setting the bar. Maybe we'll talk a little about the Spanish flu tomorrow. All right. That's all.
Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation made a promise to ensure we never forget. Since then, it's been committed to supporting America's heroes and their families. Heroes like U.S. Army Specialist Michael Hook. Hook was killed in Iraq when his helicopter was shot down. He had enlisted in the military after graduating high school. He left behind a pregnant fiancé who gave birth to a son he would never meet. Thanks to the generosity of friends like you, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on his family's home, relieving a financial burden and bringing stability. The foundation helps Gold Star and fallen first responder families, as well as our nation's most catastrophically injured heroes and homeless veterans. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. 95 cents of every dollar you give goes directly to its programs. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices our heroes have made for us. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, it's your favorite throwback podcast hosts, Jessica Bennett and Susie Bannikaram, here to announce a new season of our show in retrospect. Which means a whole new batch of episodes diving into the pop culture moments we love and love to pick apart. From the dethroning of the first black Miss America to the legacy of a lesbian joke from four Kaftan-loving Golden Girls. Listen to In Retrospect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.